0: Hello and welcome to this latest Fraser of Allander podcast. My name is Mary Spowage and I'm joined today by my colleague David Iser. Um, And we are going to talk today about what else but the the spending review that was released by the Scottish Government this week. David, um, we've been talking a lot about the spending review for the last 24 hours or so. Um, Why don't you just tell us, our listeners, what the, the main highlights are for you?
1: Sure. Well, I think um, uh, the first thing to say is I do think that the government should be given credit for um, publishing this spending review. It, it, It would have been relatively easy probably for it to make excuses about uh, why it wasn't possible in the current environment or certainly um, it would have been possible for it to argue that it it couldn't possibly do a a four-year spending review and focus only on the the next two years. Um, And I do think it's it's, it's a a really useful part of the public debate um, to have this spending review to form the basis of discussion about um, priorities for for public services and public funding over the next few years. Um, In terms of the spending review itself, um, it was, in some ways it was more detailed than we thought. It it presents spending plans at at what's what's known as level two for the whole of the uh, four year spending review period. I think we thought we certainly thought that in the last couple of years of the spending review period, the government might not be willing to give quite as much uh, detail as that, uh, but we thought that maybe they would give a bit more detail in the first couple of years. In the last spending review in 2011, they presented spending plans at level three, so a slightly more detailed um, level. Uh, what are the key messages I think? I think in a way, I mean, although this is really useful, in some ways, uh, there weren't, in a sense, too many big surprises in what the spending review said. Um, I mean, if people uh, read our last Scottish budget report in December last year, what we said very clearly is that the government was really putting a big emphasis on prioritising its new social security powers and on prioritising Uh, investment in the health service to support uh, recovery from the pandemic and and dealing with other underlying pressures. And we said as a result of that that other areas of the budget would really feel the squeeze in the next few years. And that's exactly what you see coming out of this um, spending review. So big increases in social security spending, um, reflecting the government's priorities, increases in, in health spending, perhaps In the scheme of things, though, you know, actually not that generous given the scale of the challenge facing the health service, and then lots of other areas really facing big squeezes, actually, particularly things like local governments, um, universities, colleges, police, big parts of the justice budget um, facing real term squeeze over the rest of the parliament. Um, But as I say, um, you know, that. In an, to an extent that that's not a big surprise but it is certainly very useful to sort of see the the government's um a, a official uh kind of confirmation that that is um what it's what its priorities um imply
0: yeah you're absolutely right i think seeing that and um, not just what they want to prioritize but what they're having to deprioritize uh, as a whole is, is really use the really useful thing about what was was published yesterday um, and some of those things that you mentioned, which are frozen in cash terms, uh, I mean, over the period, that's a significant cut, isn't it, to the resources they have got available to so. them?
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, lots and lots of areas, as you say, you've got, got sort of flat cash budgets, which th- there's, a, there's a big debate to be had, which we won't go into now, I suppose, about w- what's the appropriate deflator to use at the current time. And the deflators that the government used are perfectly reasonable to use in a sense, but they are, you know, arguably they, they underestimate, uh, I mean, it should be said they're the same deflators that the UK government use. Uh, there's no suggestion that they're the wrong deflators, but you could argue that they underestimate the scale of the impact that inflation will have on public services. So, um, you know, we've said that a flat cash Allocation over the next four years is equivalent to a seven percent real terms cut, but you know there's a case for saying that actually the the pressure that public services will feel uh, will, will, will feel like a bigger cut than that. Okay, so we'll come back to some of that in a bit, but Mary, why don't you tell us a bit about? Um, The the economic forecasts and how those have changed, because as well as the spending review, of course, the Fiscal Commission published updated um, forecasts for the economy. So what did they say?
0: Yeah, and obviously these aren't these aren't unrelated. um, And the the outlook for the economy has fed through to to lots of the fiscal forecasts, which the spending review was was based on. Um, But it was interesting Um, Given the gap between when the Fiscal Commission last produced their forecasts and now, it might be reasonable to expect that they might have deteriorated somewhat. Um, But so many different things have happened since the the forecasts were last produced. There was the emergence of the Omicron variant, which wasn't included in their forecast. And then there's obviously been everything else that's happened in terms of the cost of living crisis. Um, worsening significantly since the last forecast. And of course, the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which has caused global economic uncertainty. Um, so yes, um, I, go, I guess in some ways it was surprising to see that they hadn't deteriorated as much um, as maybe we could have expected. Um, and if you look at the detail of the forecast um, and their commentary on it from the fiscal commission, um, they're not expecting um, a recession in Scotland at the moment. Um, and indeed they're not expecting any contractions at all if you look at the quarterly figures, um, although growth, to be fair, is is fairly weak. And the outlook for the next few years is a bit weaker than it otherwise was. And to be expected, there seems to be a considerable softening in consumption. So um, consumers just buying goods and services in the economy, which makes sense given the the sort of cost of living squeeze. They've also sort of tracked the OBR's view on what's going to happen to inflation, so peaking around sort of nine percent in the last quarter of the year. Obviously, the latest monthly figure was around that level. Um, So um, some may say that's a little optimistic in terms of where it's going to peak, Um, but I suppose we'll see. I get the the funny thing about how it feeds through into some of the fiscal forecasts um, can be seen in the figures. Um obviously some of the, the social security forecasts are considerably higher because of, of inflation and inflation rate uplifts. Um, and it also kind of does mix things to income tax, <laughs> which we'll talk about in a sec, given the Um, the sorts of increases in wages that might be expected. But David, why don't you tell us a bit more about that? Well, I mean, what are they saying about income tax, given it's so important for the size of the Scottish budget?
1: Uh, Well, I think on the one hand, um, I mean, the the, the forecasts for Scottish income tax um, this year and next have been uh, revised up uh, because of the the impacts of... um, Inflation and the current low unemployment on, on earnings growth. But as we've said lots of times before, what's really important in the Scottish perspective is not just what is raised from income tax in, reven- in, in, in revenue terms, but how that compares to the block grant adjustment, what's taken out of the block grant to account for the transfer of, of revenues from the UK government to the Scottish government. And it's that net tax position. That's really important, and the picture um, from the SFC's forecasts yesterday was uh, slightly mixed. It was slightly mixed in the sense that that net tax position uh, has got worse for this financial year and for next financial year, 22-20, 2023 to 24. So next year, 2023 to 2024, the next the net tax position is forecast to be about negative 350 million pounds. What that means is the Scottish budget next year is forecast to be 350 million pounds worse off than it would have been had income tax devolution not happened at all. Um, And that's clearly quite worrying because uh, we've had uh, tax policy changes in Scotland that in principle raise the amount of revenue that Scottish income taxpayers uh, pay as a whole, relative to what uh, they would pay if the UK government policy prevailed. And what's basically going on there is that because income tax is now devolved, although we've had these tax policy changes in Scotland that do raise additional revenue from Scottish taxpayers, uh, the Scottish government is no longer getting a share Of income tax revenues raised in the rest of the UK and it turns out that those income tax revenues in the rest of the UK have grown more quickly than they have in Scotland and Scotland no longer gets a share of those uh, faster growing revenues in the rest of the UK because income tax has devolved so that's basically the story there it's not actually a story that the tax policy changes in Scotland have failed and have caused this uh, to to happen that's a sort of frequent misconception. Uh, The Scottish income tax base seems to have just grown more slowly for a variety of of more complicated reasons. Um, So the near-term picture is uh, sort of still quite negative. What happens in the later years of the forecast, 2024, 25 to 2026, 27 is that the net tax position has improved a lot since the last set of forecasts. The net tax position is basically around about zero. So the scottish budget is forecast to be no better and no worse off than it would have been without tax devolution albeit of course with this the premise that tax policy is it looks different in scotland than it does in the rest of the uk and as a whole scottish taxpayers uh, will pay more tax revenue than they would do if the uk uh, policy applied
0: yeah yeah because there's an interesting thing here isn't there um that part of the reason for that net tax position becoming zero is the tax cut that's been announced by the, the UK government um, to come in uh, in 24-25 to reduce the basic rate to 19p. Yes. Now, we haven't had you know, an announcement from the Scottish government about how or if they might respond to that, and you know they, they don't need to respond to that. Um, but um, that, that is an interesting development, which will mean that um, potentially... Um, the the current um, statement that um people on the lower incomes pay a little bit less tax in Scotland than they do in the rest of the UK potentially may not hold anymore if the situation remains is is that fair
1: yeah it'll be really interesting to see how the how the Scottish government uh, responds to that um, as you say they've had they, they, they've they've been very keen to stress this narrative since 2017 that the um, taxpayers in the lower half of the income tax uh, distribution pay less tax in Scotland than they would if they lived in the rest of the UK. Um, And so if they want to maintain that position, uh, uh, they will have to respond um, in some way, um, the most obvious way being to to take a penny off the the current starter uh, rate. Um, and and also the the basic rate in Scotland. Um, And that would clearly have uh, revenue implications and it would mean, as you say, that the the, the budget outlook isn't quite as positive um, in the later years of the spending review uh, forecast period as as was um, uh, suggested yesterday.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, Well, it's always fun talking about block grant adjustments, um, but um, why don't we go back to thinking about the the spending review um, itself um, were there things mary that you think um, we hoped to find out from the spending review yesterday that um, we're actually none the wiser about today having looked at it
0: yeah well, i suppose there's quite a few things there's, there's what you mentioned initially about the level of detail now you know um, as you say it it was kind of good that the same level of detail was given for the, the whole period, but I think, I think we could have expected a little bit more detail for the first two years given the, the relative certainty that there is there. Um so it does leave some, you know, um organizations and so on who, you know, are maybe at a lower level um in terms of budget lines and not, not having. As much certainty as others about um, their funding allocations. Although I think probably <laughs> if you're not in health or social security, saying that your budget's probably flashing cash terms <laughs> seems to be a fairly sound um, assumption to, to make. Um, one of the things that um, there was some, some coverage on, although not a lot of clarity about how it was going to be achieved, was the, the public sector pay approach. So um, the government have said that they want to keep the overall public sector pay bill flat. Um, you know, over the next um, few years, um, and that this is going to be achieved not by holding down pay necessarily, but actually by reducing the numbers of the devolved um, public sector back to pre-COVID levels um, over the course of the next four years. Um, but we don't quite know how that's going to be achieved. And also given the likely pressure on the government to look again at their public sector pay policy over the next few months in the light of surging inflation, um, you know, how realistic that actually is. Um, it, is um, it I'm not sure how realistic it actually mm. is, given the pressures there. The other things were... Um, there was there was some um, discussion in the document about the introduction of the National Care Service, which seems to be mainly in the, the health and social care line of the, the budget. Um, but you know, we're not still quite not sure what the National Care Service actually is. Um and there's a there's 840 million that's announced that seems to be part of that health line, health and care line. Um but we we don't quite know what that's to d- deliver um, and also if that's kind of included in there it's difficult to know how much sort of core health service you know funding is increasing if, if you sort of control for that so so we, we haven't seen the detail of that but i'm sure there'll be more detail of that coming out probably before recess and if we think about some of the other priorities like on child poverty um Uh, whilst we know that they're spending and prioritising a lot on the social security measures around the child payment, other um, services that are delivered to try and tackle child poverty, many of them through local government, you know, we don't know quite how those are going to be impacted by the local government settlement being flat flat in cash terms. So, you know, it wasn't a budget, as as Mm. Kate Forbes said a number of times, and we wouldn't expect the sort of level of detail. But these are some of the questions that we're still asking. Um, given the challenges that the government are likely to face um, before the budget in december
1: yeah that's right I do, I do think it was a useful document in sort of in sort of confirming these broad directions but yes there were as you say we, we did think that we might get a bit of a clearer view about um, uh, things like the new care service uh, social care, so national care service and and the timescales for that and the funding associated for that but um
0: yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I suppose overall, I mean, how difficult do you think it is, given the uncertain environment? I mean, we're not used to spending reviews, <laughs> obviously, for the last ten years. But how difficult do you think it was to try and set this out in this this uncertain environment?
1: Um, well, on on a technical sense, it's not difficult. It's something that we do ourselves a lot. I mean, you you know, it's not a. It's it, you, you, you basically know what the. You're, the envelope is, and you make various commitments, and then you realise what's left for everything else. So it's not, it's not technically difficult, but um, clearly it it exposes the the government to various political risks, um, uh, and you know credit to them for for being willing to take those on. And I do think, to be fair, there's a there's a case for saying that well, you know, the government could have provided more detail, it could have provided spending plans at level three or whatever, but given the level of uncertainty that there is, you know, how helpful would that have been? I do think um, that there is, there is, uh, um, you know, uh, a point to be made there.
0: Yeah, that that's, that's fair. Um, it's very uncertain. Um, and no doubt, you know, at least some calling for more detail would maybe then be critical if it had to be changed so to a certain exactly. extent you can't win here yes. So, so those for those who aren't so familiar as as we are <laughs> with the what normally happens in the Scottish kind of fiscal landscape and um, we've had the spending review presented so you know what kind of happens next in terms of the the process in Scotland
1: well the next big um Scottish fiscal event is um of course the budget um, and what we generally have or what certainly happens at Parliament is a is a is a process of pre-budget scrutiny that begins in around about September time and um I think hopefully this 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 spending review will be really useful and informative to that. I think sometimes. Uh, the committees at Parliament sort of um, struggle a bit to have, you know, things to really get their teeth into as part of that pre-budget scrutiny. Um, but but I think this could be really useful and, and really provide some useful context to those debates around what then goes into um, the 2023-24 budget as it's um, prepared. Of course, before the Scottish budget uh, itself, which we would normally expect to be in around December, Um, There will be um, another fiscal event from the UK government in autumn time, setting out its uh, plans. The interesting thing will be to see to what extent those change relative to the plans set out in the spending review. And indeed, whether the UK government decides that rather than waiting until uh, that uh, formal fiscal event, it is going to um, announce... uh, Changes to its spending plans before then, which it might come under increasing pressure to do, uh, depending on how the outlook for inflation and the pressure that public services appear to be facing over the next few months. Um, and overlaid with all of that, of course, there are the there's the possibility of a of a change in the leadership of the UK government, um, and quite how that would. Uh, influence things is very difficult to predict. but uh, So there are some things that we do know with reasonable certainty. Uh, We're going to have this pre-budget process starting in the Scottish Parliament from September and the Scottish budget in in December. Uh, There'll be a UK fiscal event at some time, probably in October, but there are various uncertainties around some of the other things that could happen in the meantime.
0: Yeah, I think, as you said, um, since the last time there was a spending review, I think um, this is the most amount of information for the committees in the Scottish Parliament to really get into. And they'll be thinking about that pre-budget scrutiny um, over the recess um, and being able to think about how they might hold the government to account on some of the decisions that they've made. So it's really good that they have this full picture of information to be able to do that. Um, well, th- listen, David, thank you very much for, for joining me today to discuss this. And um, We've got lots of analysis on our website if you want to read even more um, about the spending review. Um, uh, but thanks for joining us today and we'll see you again soon for another Fraser of Islander podcast.